I guess for me, I was just thinking that you either have a choice, yeah. as what we're saying with the good and bad, but it's like you either have a choice to believe or not to believe. Exactly. And I think from all these shirim that I've been attending is that it's not everything is at face value. And once you start learning and you start seeing all the messages and opening up your eyes, it really expands and then you go there's no way that this can be made up right right. however if you just look at from and where you're talking about those who are not jewish or those who have not learned it's very easy to go nah it's just rubbish exactly 100 percent right good observation i agree 100 percent. what joanne just said was absolutely so true we live in a world bombarded with constant constant distraction it has never been like this in history never even when you went to um, your, in the old days, your farm, right? You came back at night, that's it. You're free with your family. There's no emails, no buzzing, no phones, no WhatsApps, no Facebooks, no Instagrams, no Twitters, nothing, nothing, right? No TV. So people are just bombarded with information and, and they don't necessarily learn the basics. So the first thing I want to say is the Jewish story, I asked a question to all of us in the beginning. How are we different after tradition? Just because we are born Jewish, how are we different to all the other traditions? They also believe what their parents told them. And the answer is that we are the only religion that has a national experience as a national history, right? We're the only one. Because the issue with the other ones are that they're all unverifiable, okay? So let's think about Christianity um, and Jesus, right? He says that he spoke to God. Either he did or he didn't. But either way, it's not verifiable. None of us can prove if he did or he didn't, right? The same thing with Muhammad. Muhammad in a cave, Muhammad in a dream. Nobody knows it's unverifiable, right? And the thing is, is that the world has 15,000 religions and about 80,000 cults. And the Jewish religion is the only religion that has, the Torah says clearly, that Every single Jewish person stood at the mountain at Sinai and saw God and heard God speak. Three million Jewish people. Every single one saw they God. Didn't see, they, heard it. they heard, but it says they saw. It says they saw the fire and the thunder. Yeah, they saw the fire and, and the thunder. And the okay. Yeah, and then they heard God speak to them. And they didn't just say God speak to them. They heard God also say the Ten Commandments and say, uh, Moses, go tell the people. So they saw God telling Moses, that you are my man to teach the Torah to the Jewish people. Now, the now the point here is, is that it's a national experience because let's think about this for a second. The, be, the best argument for a religion to be successful would be that you were there and you saw it because it's foolproof. I, I know if I was there or not. You can't lie to me if I wasn't there. I know I was there. I wasn't there, right? So why doesn't any other religion claim to have a national revelation where God appeared to them? Why? Why? Natural things, right, reoccur. Anything that's natural, it reoccurs and it reoccurs and it reoccurs, right? History repeats itself. So how is it possible? We have 15,000 religions, 80,000 cults, and no one in the entire world throughout history has made the best possible claim for their religion to be credible that they had a national revelation. How's it possible? And, and, and you know who says this? God says this. God says, it's not just that I came to you and I spoke to you all directly. 
But I challenge you, God says, I challenge you, right? Because at the end of days, when you're in exile all over the world, God says, I'll scatter you if you don't keep the commandments, I'll, I'll throw you out the land. We scatter all over the world. And you'll ask your parents and your grandparents, what is this about God and Egypt? And you'll say, has there ever been a nation to even claim that God spoke to them or God took them out of another, out of slavery, right? Because it's not just that God did it, but no one even can claim that happened to them which they all should because it's the best possible argument. You were there, right? No one can lie to you. You were there. So that's the first thing I want to say. And it's not just a question of, well, there's a there's this Jewish story of Sinai in isolation. Maybe it's a fairy tale. Maybe it's a campfire story. Because the thing is, you have to appreciate the national history from Abraham till coming into land of Israel was 500 years of Jewish history history experienced by a nation by a whole nation right so when we think of the holocaust right we know that the jewish people as a nation went through the holocaust right they went through the holocaust but the holocaust as terrible as terrible as it was and i have many family members the only ones who survived were my, my were my grandparents three of my grandparents are polish and their families are wiped out right and um the holocaust as bad as it was was a three was a six less than six year Holocaust. It was even less than that because the Nazis only started the problems about, you know, a few years into the, into the war. So whatever, let's say four or five years of, of terrible things. Do you know how long the Egyptian Holocaust went for? 210 years. Yeah. Now to be fair, it wasn't slavery, the whole 210, because when Joseph was the king, right, yeah. he was still in charge. But it, what does it say when Joseph died? A new paro arises who doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't remember or doesn't care. Joseph is dead, right? The influence is gone. The Jewish influence is gone. No more special treatment. Now the Jews are a threat. They're having lots of babies. They're different. We know from the from the tradition they 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 had their own way of dressing, their own language, and their own names. So they didn't assimilate. So there were Jews living among the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were threatened by that because maybe the Jews will take over, right? So we go into let's say 150 year. Holocaust. And when I say Holocaust, I mean worse than the actual Holocaust. They would take every firstborn, throw them into the river, right? They would take people and use them as cement. It was it was a disaster. It was a disaster. I heard that they were like even worse than Nazis. They were worse than Nazis. Worse. And worse. Unfathomable. Yeah, unfathomable. Even, you can't even imagine. It, it wasn't a Western world where there's morals. There wasn't a, like the Nazis weren't in a vacuum. The Nazis were in a world where there was a church, where there was a pope, where there was Catholicism. Sorry where there was Christianity, where there was, there, were, there, were, there was religion in the world of the Nazis. In the world of the Egyptians, you just do whatever you want. It was like uh, laws of the jungle, right? Sure, sure. Laws of the jungle. And um, if we think about the Holocaust, how do we really know the Holocaust ever happened? Unfortunately, we have Holocaust deniers, unfortunately, right? And any film or any video uh, documentaries, they can all be um, doctored to you know people can fake them so the only real way we're ever going to know the holocaust is we have something called yom hashoah where everybody in the jewish people and around the world get together and remember and commemorate this terrible tragedy right but let me explain you something egypt is which is the foundation of our of our of our foundation of our faith why because god says in the ten commandments the first commandment is i am your god i am your god who took you out of egypt but, but why does God say to go out of Egypt and not, and not that I created the world? 
And they explain, because we don't know God from creating the world, like Joanne was saying, we know God from our experience with him. We know God from our experience with him. And we know God from the fact that he took a nation from outside another nation and freed them from slavery. So this event of Egypt is the forefront of every single one of our commandments that we do every day. It's the most well-documented event in world history, in anything. Let's think about it for a second. Holocaust Day, Memorial Day is one day a year. Mm. How many days a year do we commemorate Egypt? Mm-hmm. One second, before every day. We have a, 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 we have a holiday every year called? Passover. Exactly. But Passover is eight days a year. We have a ho- special holiday to commemorate Egypt, right? Right. Now, I'll tell you a story about my study friend that I met here. He was on exchange in RMIT University, and he met me on a flight to Hamilton Island, because I like to travel and see all the beautiful islands and God's beautiful world. And he comes to me on the plane and he starts, he starts chatting to me and chatting to me and chatting to me. He wasn't religious. He was from New York. He was Syrian. A lot of, there's a huge Syrian community, Jewish community in Flatbush, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred thousand Syrians. Mm-hmm. And we know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he tells me, I said to him, he asked me about religion and all this stuff. So I said to him, well, uh, God took us out of Egypt and um, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. This guy was like 20, very smart boy doing a degree in business and, 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 and IT. He was a very smart boy. And I said to him, um, your father tells you every year that our father took us, uh, your fa- that God took us out of Egypt. He's like, no, he doesn't. I said, he does. Yes, he said, when? I said, Pesach. He said, never told, he never told me this. The guy's 20 years old. He never told me. I said, listen to me, call up your father after, ask him, did you tell me about Egypt every single year? And you'll see what he tells you. Fine. A couple of weeks later, I get a phone call. We got to Hamilton Island. So we get back to Melbourne. A couple of weeks later, I get my number. Gives me a call. You're not going to believe it. My father told me. What do you mean? I tell you every year. What are you talking about? What are you falling asleep at the table? Right? But they had to disconnect. The son had no idea we came out of Egypt. But what are you talking about? But the father thinks, what do you mean? Every year we pay the money. You know, expensive it is the pass of the food. The matzah, the wine, it's expensive, the whole gig. Eight days, clean the house, chuck everything out, lock everything up. It's expensive, right? So we have eight days a year. Every single chag that we have, Sukkot, uh, Shavuot, it's all to remember God taking us out of Egypt. Every single chag. Every single Friday night and Shabbat, we say in Davening and in Kiddush, God shows us, that he took us out of Egypt. That's what Shabbat is commemorating, taking us out of Egypt. But every single day, as Philippa was saying, we do several mitzvot. We put on tefillin. What's inside the tefillin? God took us out of Egypt. The parchment is the God Shema. God took us out of Egypt. Every single day we wear the tzitzit. What is tzitzit? Tzitzit. The tzitzit are to commemorate that in Egypt we had Passover. Where does Passover, the name Passover, come from? Does anybody know? What was the Passover? What, what? Was anybody reading that gara? Ah, he passed He passed over. Why did he pass over? Because on the door, right, the Egyptians worshipped the, the lamb. Mm-hmm. You know, they the, the, the worshipped the lamb. That was their, like, yeah. their cows. Yes. So yeah. God said, take the lamb, the idol of, of, of Egyptians, bring it as a sacrifice to me, yeah, a Jewish sacrifice, take the blood and put the blood on the door handle. Yes. And okay. every door handle that has the blood, I will recognize as a Jewish house oh, and yeah. I will pass over. Yeah. So, in India. So we put, we put, as in the Jewish houses or the non Jewish? Yeah, the Jewish. Wow, you see, amazing. You see, in India, they put on the Jewish houses blood on the door, like in Egypt. Diago, you're listening, you're here? 
Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Hi, Sandra. Yeah. What, what sort of flight? What's the matter? Hi, Sandra. Can you hear me? Anyway. Sorry, sorry. I was with. I was mute. That's okay. I'm just saying you can hear me, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So basically, every single second of every single day, because it's it's it and it's fill in, we only wear in the daytime and only men. But every second of every day, of every hour, every Jewish person has a mezuzah on their door. Even the most unaffiliate Jews have a mezuzah. Even in Hollywood, they have a mezuzah on their door, right? And therefore, what I'm saying is, we went through 500 years from Abraham till Moses and at Sinai of a national history, father to son, which is the most well-documented, documented, written in every mezuzah, in every tefillin, in every chumash, in every sidur, right? The most well-documented event in history, right? Now, that's what happened in the, in the times of Moses. And from Moses till today is only 50 generations. If we imagine a big chain, I once went for Passover for the seder to my friend's house, and he did a very interesting thing for his kids to get involved in the seder. What did he do? He made like one of these birthday chains. You know, when you make a paper, the birthday rings, 50 chains, a big ring, and he put it across the table, quite small, 50 rings, not very big. That is how close we are to Egypt, to Sinai. 3,300 years divided by about 60, 65, each father to grandson, grandson to grand, grandfather to grandson. You get 50 generations. You can work it out differently if you want to do it you know, 40 gener- years in a generation or 60 years in a generation or 80 years. But say you take 65 years, it's only 50 generations. And each generation, we know exactly who the people were, what their names were, who their children were, who their students were, what they wrote. In most, gen- most people, we have the original manuscripts of their writings, right? I'm going to show you here. For those on Zoom, you'll have to just bear with me. But we start here with all the way in the beginning, we start from Abraham. Right, and we trace it all the way through, and we go through the the, the era of the first temple, four hundred years, seventy years. We had exile in Persia, the Purim story, right? Mm. And then uh, we come back to the land for another four hundred years, and that's the Hanukkah. The first two hundred years was the Hanukkah period, and the second two hundred years is the Roman period. And after, so both both temples were for four hundred. First one was four hundred twenty. Second, 410. And after the, after the, um, after the, the temple was destroyed. So as the temple was, the Romans were taken over and the Jews are losing their, losing their sovereignty over the land. So Rebbe, his name was Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. He was the leader of the generation. He put all of the law into the Mishnah because when we were at Sinai, we got the law from the, the old, the, 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 the written law. With, with the oral tradition of how to, because the, the, the actual Torah doesn't explain what we have to do. It just says, put on the tefillin, keep the Shabbat. It doesn't say what all these things are. But we receive that as an oral tradition. And it was especially not put in writing because for many reasons. One of the reasons was is that we didn't want the rest of the world to take our tradition. We wanted our tradition to be for us. So we just put it cryptically. God puts it in the in the, in the Torah, so we have, you know, the dot points, you know, keep Shabbat, keep Tzalein, keep Kosher. But what that looks like was for the Jews, not for anyone else. But as the Romans were taking over and the Jews were going to be dispersed to all four corners of the world, they put it into the Mishnah, which was very, very much dot points. And be- after a few hundred years, it became too 
uh, two dot point for them to understand, meaning there was so much more that had to be expounded and explained that they put that into the Gemara. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara is 70 volumes that will take you, if you learn two pages a day, one double-sided page, two pages a day, seven and a half years without commentaries, just the Talmud. So when you say, boys, go to Yeshiva or Kodal for 20 years, you know what they're doing. <laughs> There's a lot to learn. So that's our oral tradition. So you can see on this chart, and I can pass it around, it goes through every single one from this time of the, the beginning of time, all the way through the time of the, of the, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and all the rabbis we had, all the way through history, the, who their students were, all the way through till today. So the point is, is that, again, we experience a revelation as, as a nation that no other religion has ever done or even claimed to do, right? No one else, right? No one. In Egypt, we have the 10, the ten plagues, and the 10 plagues, the Kabbalists, the morale explains, and the Kabbalists explain that God each, there were 10 plagues and divide by three, split them by three. God showed, he, God showed he's in charge because there was a very pagan world. So they believe in a God for the water and a God for the rain and a God for the sun and a God for the moon. So God showed how there's one God in charge of everything, right? From the heavens, God is in charge. Why? The hail comes down, right? The firstborn dies. Who knows who the firstborn is? Only God knows who the firstborn is, right? Then on the land, wild animals, pestilence, lice, right? God's in charge of the land. Well, what are under the land? Maybe there's an underland God, right? Under the water God. No. God causes all the fish to die in the sea. The blood, that's, the Nile turns into blood, right? God causes all the frogs to come up to the land and annoy everybody, right? So basically, God was showing that all parts of the universe, heaven, earth, and below, he, there is one God, one God, right? And then God split the sea as the Jews were leaving, and the Egyptians got their just punishment. Each one drowned according to the one, as much as he deserved. And we went in a desert for 40 years as a nation, millions and millions of people living for 40 years on a miraculous level. How can you live in a desert for 40 years as 3 million people? And the Torah says it was a miracle. Manna from heaven came and we had food. We had a well of Miriam. Miriam, Moshe's sister, was a big prophetess, a very righteous woman. She was a prophet. And in her merits, we had a well that was a moving well. The cloud of glory. What's the cloud of glory? So it sounds like an interesting thing. But what it was, was, was God's presence, which was protecting them from the elements in the burning sun, in the burning heat. Yeah. They said even the air was different. Even the air. They didn't have to wash their clothes. Exactly. They were on a spiritual dimension, a spiritual plane that God was looking after them. So when you go through hundreds and hundreds of years of 10 plagues, Splitting of the sea, 40 years of living as a nation in a miraculous way with food from, man from heaven in the desert. And then God opens up the heavens and every single Jew sees it, right? And the, and the Rambam, yeah, the Rambam, Maimonides, he explains that what, what's the significance of everyone seeing it together? Because when you have two witnesses that see something, they don't have to prove to each other what they saw. Each one knows they were there together, right? They give testimony that each other saw it. So when the Jews... God opened the heavens and the Jews witnessed God together with Moses, right? It wasn't us witnessing a Muhammad externally or us hearing about a Jesus externally. It was us with Moses together experiencing God's revelation. And that is foolproof. That is because we were there and we heard God speak to us and give us the Torah. So we were there and we heard it. So therefore, that is the difference between um, our why we are so uh, concrete 
and so secure and so peaceful and unshakable in our tradition, right? That, that Jews are willing to die at the stake in Spanish Inquisition or all throughout history, whether it be in the Swadi countries, God forbid, or in the Ashkenazi countries, there were terrible, terrible, terrible persecutions and atrocities. In Russia, there were pogroms, there was Cossacks, there were crusades. Wherever people lived, the Jews always never sold out for money, for power, for nothing. We always, because we had such an inner clarity of what we experienced, and it's not only that we felt that, the nations of the world today most of the world, when I started it tonight, we said God wanted to have a light unto the nations to transmit his moral code to the world. The entire Western world and Middle East is based on the Jewish Abrahamic faith. It's called the Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian value system. All of our democratic laws are based on the value of human life, right? That's why we have all of the laws that we have. Don't kill, don't steal, don't. In Rome, they would put people in the Colosseum and kill them for fun. But the Jews managed to through their influence, offshoot branches like Christianity and Islam and Baha'i and all the different ones, Catholicism and Protestantism and the Mormons and the evangelicals, all of these massive, massive, massive evangelicals of 800 million evangelicals in the world. They're huge, right? They all believe in the authenticity of the Old Testament. All of them, every single one of them. They just say that somebody came and changed it. God has a new message. But again, would we believe in a new message? If God came to us and said, this is my message and it's verifiable and I told it to you and I said, it's never going to change. Can someone in a cave change our mind, our experience? No, they can't because God told us it's never going to change and he spoke to us directly. So whatever anyone else says that God came to him in a cave and him in a dream and him in schizophrenia and him in a, in a, in a, in a magic trick, doesn't matter. We were there with Moses together. It wasn't an external magician Moses doing stuff, Right. So that is why the Jews are so concrete and they've managed to influence history for the last 3,000 years. And most of the Western and Middle Eastern world, the legal systems are based on Jewish values. Interesting? In order for man to have free will, you have to have the option to make the wrong choice, right? Otherwise, if every time someone does something wrong, a bolt of lightning will come and strike them down, nobody will have any free Uh will to do anything, right? No one will have any free will. So the Torah is outlining the good sons and the good versus the bad sons and the bad, because both exist. Both have to exist to have a choice. The bad has to be also tempting. You have to have a challenge and say, I'm actually going to choose to do the right thing. If it was easy to do the right thing, why are you getting a reward for? Right? You're getting the reward because you're having a hard challenge. Right? The challenge is, well, my friend has loads of money. I can steal it. No one's going to know. So now the only one who's watching is God. Do I go and take some of his money? He's got enough anyway and just steal behind his back. Right? That's a challenge for me because I can get away with it and I can help me, my family, and my kids. So that's the choice. I have to choose that I'm going to do the right thing. But I could go and steal the money. So what happened is, is the bad son, Asaph, yeah, the, the, the commentaries say that he would be, he was a murderer and he was an adulterer and he did some terrible, terrible things. And he is the, uh, prototype for evil in the world. When any of the religions, any of the Western Abrahamic religions talk about evil, they talk about Asaph, that Esau, he's the one who is the bad guy, right? Killing and murdering and stealing. So the Torah is telling you, that we have the option to be an Aesop 
or we have the option to be a Yaakov. And you need to choose to be a Yaakov, to do the right thing. And that's why Yaakov's name was later in his life renamed to Yisrael. We are, we are called the B'nai Yisrael, the children of Yisrael, of, of Jacob. Why Yisrael? So the Kabbalists explain, Ari Kaplan explains that Yisra means to contend or to fight. Kel means with God, with the transcendental. So Yisra Kel, Jacob fought, right, with the spiritual forces and he overcame the evil inclination, right? And therefore he was called not Jacob, but the Yisra Kel, that one, the one who fights with the spiritual, with the evil inclination, that he contends with the evil inclination and he overcame it. So every Jew has this ability within them and every human, but, but every human as well. But the Jewish people were tasked with being the teachers of the world, a nation of priests, right? You always have to have leaders of a congregation. Every congregation has a leader, a rabbi, imam, a priest. So God said that he wanted the world to be a world of kindness. But in order for the world to be a world of kindness, there has to be some nation that out of all of the 70 nations, that when we say 70, biblically speaking, there are more now, that would be the ones who would transmit God's word to the world and be a shining example and a nation of teachers and a holy nation, a nation of priests, right? Because most people are just living their life. They're just going to the footy. They're being good citizens, drinking their beer. And that's all fine. That's fine. And they have a purpose. The purpose is to do the right thing. But the Jewish purpose is to keep 613 commandments, to make them a holy nation, to be an inspiration to the world, to be teachers to the world. So the Jewish responsibility is much greater. So God gave the Jews a great responsibility, but they also get a greater capability because we have um, a big neshama, you know, a very big soul, and we also get a big reward because we're doing the hard work. But if anyone wants to be Jewish, they can join us. And unlike the other religions, Judaism is probably the only one that is a universal religion because we believe every single person in the world has a purpose and a place. You don't have to be Jewish to go to heaven and you're not meant to be Jewish to go to heaven. That's why we discourage people from missionizing and proselytizing because we are against that. If you're Chinese, you're meant to be Chinese. God created the Chinese for a reason. If you are, uh, uh, you know, uh, come from Egypt, Egypt. <laughs> let's say the non-Jewish Egyptians, right? not the ones who are exiled there, not the Jews who are exiled there, not us. Then, you, um, then that's your purpose. So therefore God said, he gave the world the seven laws of Noah, seven laws of Noah, right? They, they sort of mirror the Ten Commandments, but they don't include Shabbat. They don't include some of the ones that, that are only for the Jewish people. Um, but basically don't steal, don't kill, right? That sort of stuff. And the idea is that the nation of Jews, the nation of priests, is a shining example to the world. And we are lighter to nations of how to be moral and how to do the right thing and how to refine our character and how to share. And like we spoke about the Tehillim list, you know, tonight we're dedicating it to someone and we get together and we all take off time and pray. Any one of us gets a message, someone's sick, we stop whatever we are doing, we drop what we're doing and we say a prayer for them. All of us in this room, we do all do it. That is not something that everyone else in the world does. You know, there was a TV series that came out called on Netflix called Stissel. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It was very, very popular. And I read an article from a Catholic woman who said how amazed she was that the Jewish women sit around most of the day, you know, the grandmas, the bubbas and the sufters, and they sit around when they're not doing it and they, and they, and they retail him. They don't watch TV or, you know, uh, uh, saying the ones that are in Jerusalem, right? And she said she was so 
uh, amazed by that. It was so, it's such an impression on her that she's going to start doing that more often. And she realized, you know what? I could be spending more time connecting to God, connecting to my inner soul, than just wasting time on Facebook or, or just killing time watching TV, whatever it is. The point is the Jewish people really are a shining example, especially after 2,000 years of persecution. Yeah.